Hi, I'm Frank Daly and welcome to That Sounds Interesting podcast. Today my guest is Chris Ward, who describes himself as a technical communicator. He played in a band in the early 2000s and he has also moved around the world a lot and worked in many areas, always finding interesting work to do. He's a podcaster, a video maker, a games enthusiast and a technical writer. He loves technology and gadgets and looking at his desk it could easily be an advert for Amazon's latest gadgets. So welcome Chris to my podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. I think I recognise myself somewhat in some of those words. <laughs> I wish they were all true. <laughs> they seem to be from, from looking from my perspective anyway, correct? So let's start early on mm -hmm. and you were in a band in the early 2000s. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about that. Sure. That was a band called Art Brute. Um, still moderately popular in the, right in the right circles. That makes it sound a bit pretentious, but in some circles. Uh, you know, if you're a aging 30-something person, you probably, you might have heard of them. <laughs> um, it was pretty random in some respects. We were very lucky. Uh, it kind of came together from me having just broken up with the first love of my life, going to a party, meeting a random guy who claimed he couldn't really sing but wanted to start a band. And I was like, oh, why, don't, why not? Um, and we carried on from there. And... Just hit very lucky, actually, and we became um, popular in quote marks. You know, above your normal kind of touring or well, gigging band down a local pub kind of thing, quite quickly, um, and had a lot of fun. We had a few hits, mostly in the UK, but also in a few other random places. Um, they're still kind of going with a different lineup. We've had varying lineups uh, over the years. The singer's still there, and the other guitarist. I think that's it, actually. So they've changed all the personnel, but the band is still going. Yeah, I mean, that's, that happens quite a lot, you know. <laughs> yes, of course. So sometimes it's one person or two people that just stay, and then they change out people they, as they come and the go. One, there's a couple that always used to amuse me. I think the Stranglers is one of the most interesting ones, because you have the Stranglers, but they never had, they lost the original singer for a long time. But actually, I saw them a couple of years ago, and they were very good. Uh, and then even the replacement singer has left now. And then you have the singer who had his own Stranglers, and I saw them, and they were actually terrible. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it can happen in many, many examples. Of course, actually. I'm a huge fan of Steely Dan, for example, and they've been around since 1972. Of course, uh, Walter Becker is dead now. He died mm. a couple of years ago. But um, all through the 30 or 40 years, they changed out various different people. They had, and they were the core, and it worked really well. It was, so I, I, in those days I played the guitar, and I played guitar mostly, but I've also played drums a bit. And there's always a joke with the drum kit. It's like, I've had the same drum kit for 20 years. I've changed the snare, the cymbals, the stands, the <laughs> kick drum, the toms, but it's still the same drum kit. <laughs> and you kind of get to a point, it's like, is it? <laughs> is it really? Oh, and they use that joke in Only Fools and Horses, where um, um, one of the characters said he had the same broom for... Oh, yes. It's Trigger, isn't it? Trigger. No, yeah, it's it Trigger. It is Trigger, of course it is Trigger. Can I tell you a weird anecdote about Only Fools and Horses? Oh, go ahead. Well, it's not very well known outside the UK, maybe Ireland, I don't know. Um, like, uh, as we'll come to in a minute, I lived in Australia for a long time. No one knows it there. It was only ever really popular there. 
Um, but apparently, and I was told this a few years ago, uh, it was also really popular in the former Yugoslavia. And so much so, the actor who played the Boise character died recently. And the mayor of Belgrade is naming a street after him. <laughs> For some bizarre reason, it was super popular in the former Yugoslavia. <laughs> and is, it, is he going to call it Boise Street? <laughs> I can't remember if it's him or the actor. Yeah. I can't quite remember, actually. <laughs> yeah, but a super series, of course. Actually, let's talk about going to Australia, since you yep. mentioned that. Um, so, I don't know, in the... the I kind of left the band for various reasons and I ended up doing some solo stuff. And uh, there were these guys I knew who used to be in a very popular for five minutes uh, band in the early 90s called um, Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine, who anyone of any... Just say that again so it gets the full name. Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine. That, that was okay. the name. They actually, they were very, very big in the early kind of to mid 90s. Um, and there's a lot of weird anecdotes about them. But anyway, we kind of fell in with them. There's only two of them. Um, and they kind of became, especially one of them, became like our rock and roll uncles. We would go to parties at their house. We played with them a few times in their new bands. Um, and often we'd be like, oh, if we wanted to ask advice to someone who'd kind of been there, we could ask them, you know, what do you think about this contract or that contract? And they'd be like, oh, yeah. Because they'd kind of been there and done all that. But anyway... Um, the one of them whose nickname was Fruit Bat, uh, he did a tour with his new band of Australia and Japan every year, and he said, um, "I had again, I was at a loose end uh, after just breaking up with someone and, and finishing with the band. Do you want to come and tour with us?" I'm like, "Okay, why not? Got nothing else to do." So I went and toured Australia and Japan. I'd been kind of thinking of leaving the UK for a while, uh, and then. We were in, we were actually in the, in Australia for like six weeks, I think, toured most of the major cities. And then on the penultimate night, we played this club in Australia, in Melbourne. Um, and I met someone, we, one thing led to another. Uh, I said, oh, we're going, we always had, they always had this traditional like uh, meal in an Indian restaurant the next day. And I said, oh, you know, come along if you want. Not actually expecting her to. <laughs> and then she was late. So I was kind of sat there like, oh, well, that was that. And then she turned up. I'm like, oh, okay. And then we stayed in touch. And then uh, like three months later, I moved back and stayed there um, for nearly eight years. Became an Australian citizen as well. I kind of consider Melbourne more home, actually, than probably London, which is where I'm originally from. Maybe it's just because it's the most recent place I've been, but also felt the most comfortable for various reasons, I think. I don't know, it's hard to, it's, sometimes it's hard to extract these things, you know. London is where I grew up, so it's very familiar, but then you move away for a long time, so it doesn't feel the same anymore. But if I went back to Melbourne now, it might be the same. It's hard to say. But. Yeah, it's, it's a point in your life as well as the location. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So um, after Australia, where did you move to then? We came to Germany. We actually initially moved to a place called Leipzig. Um, so I, I learned German up to A-level. I think it still exists in English education in, uh, in high school. There was actually a woman from Berlin who worked for a website I did some work for in Melbourne. Uh, so we said to her, you know, where should we go in Germany that isn't like normal places like Hamburg, 
Frankfurt, Berlin, and she recommended either Stuttgart or Leipzig. Uh, and Leipzig was a lot cheaper because <laughs> it's old East Germany as opposed to Stuttgart. Um, and uh, neither of us were kind of, we were both kind of just like doing bits and pieces sort of work at the time. We'd actually been running a, a charity in Melbourne for four or five years and had got a bit burnt out by it and needed just a, a change of scene anyway. It was always going to kind of be a short-term thing. Leipzig was fine. It was very nice. Everyone always claims it's going to be the next Berlin, but I, they've been saying that for some time. And it's kind of too small to actually be true, really. Um, but it's very nice. But then I got offered a job here. Um, so we moved here, uh, actually for an Austrian company, strangely. Here in Berlin, you moved Yeah, here. yeah. So then we moved to Berlin and we've been here since 2015. So coming up to, what year is it? Coming up to seven years? Yeah, wow. Coming up to seven years. I think um, we never intended it to be a long-term thing. I think Kate and I had a differences of interpretation on what our travels were going to be. I thought we were going to like be nomads for a bit. <laughs> we ended up just staying in one place. So I don't know. <laughs> but when you find somewhere that you like, you know, it makes sense to stay there, really. But Berlin is one of these weird places where, and it's the same with a lot of people who live here, who haven't, to be fair, that collection of us in Berlin, and there's a lot of us who haven't ever really fully integrated, for whatever reason. Most of the time, because you don't have a German partner. Um, and there's a lot of us here who always feel like we don't quite belong, and we're always going to leave. And there's always things to complain about, but you never leave. It's weird. It's a weird kind of city where you find a lot wrong with it, but you don't actually ever go. A kind uh, of love-hate relationship, really. It's Yeah, it's because you, you kind of go somewhere else and it's cheaper. and then But then you realise that place is more dysfunctional. Like you go into Eastern Europe or something and you think, oh, well, at least Berlin kind of functions better than places like, yeah, Ukraine or Serbia. And then you go to like Paris or Amsterdam and you think, well, this is a much more functional, proper city. And then you see how expensive it is. And you're like, oh. Yeah, you know, it is kind of... There's always trade-offs, though. Yeah. I have to say, I really like Berlin. And I like... I'm, I'm okay to go back to Ireland, which I'm going back to now next week. But, you know, so it's good to get away, but it's also good to come back. But I love, love Berlin because there's such a variety here. There's lots of different people, much more than there is in... The thing in is, though, Frank, what you do, and this is your secret, is you avoid dealing with bureaucracy. <laughs> that's, that's what usually grinds you down. Yes, I have, I have been lucky that I've, I've managed to avoid uh, that bureaucracy. So um, you mentioned about Eastern Europe a yep. bit. Did you travel around there or did you live there temporarily? No, no I didn't live there. I just, um, I used to attend either presenting or writing about lots of tech conferences. Um, and I don't know, I always found Eastern Europe more interesting than going to Western Europe. Like lots of people want to go to France or Spain or Italy. And I have no issue with them apart from Paris. I've never really understood the appeal of Paris. But um, I, don't, I just found it more interesting. It's just like it's cheaper. The people are more interesting. Tourists are more of a novelty. So people aren't just like, oh, tourists. They kind of think, oh, tourists, you know. So they're nicer to you. They show you places. They're just different. Um, Plus edgier, yeah. edgier in some ways. Some of them. 
some of them like definitely i think one of my favorite cities in quote unquote europe is probably belgrade um and lviv as well in ukraine um but belgrade especially feels like it has that same edginess berlin has but had even more in the past and a lot of the history is very similar you know it's a it's an ex war zone more recent of course than berlin so people have this very laissez-faire attitude because they're used to facing and this is this is obviously the current generation not generations ago like in berlin um you know people like to have fun because there's a constant reminder of what it used to be like and and war around you and you see you still see bullet holes and things like that you know so you have to have have whatever fun you can have while it still lasts exactly yeah okay okay interesting idea Uh, just moving on to something else and i guess this is something that's very close to your heart games (laughs) okay yeah so maybe you can tell me a little bit about how you got involved in games now we're talking about desktop games but maybe other uh, classes of games as well yeah, I suppose we should check the classific the clarification the classifications. It's kind of board games um, and role play games, which get called different things. I actually quite like because role play has other meanings in English. In German, actually, they use and it's super weird. They use the English words pen and paper, which is odd, uh, which I kind of prefer. It's a little bit more accurate. Whereas role play, people think or oh, like exercises at work or something. Sometimes you know. Like those horrible team building exercises and stuff. But anyway, um, I can't remember exactly when I got into them. Uh, it was in Melbourne, definitely. I didn't really ever get in. in well, okay. Again, I should classify these as sorts of games. Like people are like, oh, like Monopoly. Not quite. Uh, it's got easier to explain this more recently because they've become a lot more popular. Um, so we're talking like games like Catan and Up. Basically, something that is either reduces um, randomness. So the reason a lot of hardcore gamers dislike a game like Monopoly is it's basically completely random. There's no skill. You're pretty much at the luck of a a dice, really. People claim there's a strategy, but there isn't really. And then, or games that are very heavy on theme. Um, And I clarify these because there's a lot of like American style modern board games, which are also quite random, but they focus on something else. So they could still have randomness. I mean, this is not a gaming podcast, so I don't really have to go into too much detail, but just in case anyone's listening is like, well, Chris, I think you'll find. <laughs> um, so I think I got into them in Melbourne. I can't exactly remember when or why, but there was a very big meetup there, or I was with some friends or something, and, and I started going and then kept going and then kind of enjoyed it because I think primarily because it was a, something to do that got me away from a screen um, even five or six years ago. Um, but also, generally, there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, uber nerds who can get it, who can be a little sometimes more difficult to deal with. But usually it was fun, especially in Melbourne. You know, you'd have a few drinks, um, play some games, crap talk to each other. It was kind of fun. And then the role play games, so like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that, is a whole other aspect because you use your imagination. Uh, mechanics are a lot less important. It kind of depends who you play with. And I had a couple of very long running groups in Melbourne and here, as well as some, some small ones as well. I don't know. I just like it. It's kind of my default thing to do. 
as a as a pastime. Um, yeah. And so I guess it's very sociable. That's a key element to it. To to the most part, obviously, there's a lot of slightly antisocial people in the scene because it tends to attract the nerdier types, especially certain games. But there's enough others to outweigh those, uh, especially these days, I think. And especially you know which kind of games to avoid and which gamers to avoid. You know, there's certain games that attract a certain sort of person that maybe if you don't want to stand the chance of running into those, then you just don't play this game so much, you know. But it seems to me, and I'm not involved in anything to do with games at all here in Berlin, but it seems that there's quite a big uh, community of people here. It's, um, so actually Germany in general has a very long history of um, games. Um, there's a very long history of um, German families playing kids' games with each other. And then a lot of those are still the kind of low randomness ones. Uh, and also even the on the other side, which is a little a little swept aside some more that the Kriegspiel, like war games as well, also have a big history here. Um, and some of the biggest games companies in the world are based here. Um, one of the biggest uh, gaming conferences and trade fairs happens in Essen every year. So there's a very long history. I would say Germany is probably second to the US and the US is very recent uh, is probably like the biggest gaming um, country in the world they have award ceremonies that are also like the Kennerspiel Spiel des Jahr are awards that are respected all over the world as well um, kind of board games to Germany is almost like films to Films to France. I'm saying that just because of Cannes, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's a very well-established uh, industry here, um, and it, and and then obviously in Berlin you kind of get people who bring their um, other influences, but it, it's not new here. I think is worth saying. Okay, a, a long tradition. Yeah, basically, yeah. What I guess I understand what you're yeah. saying. Um, so moving on from that uh, to internet-based businesses and. <laughs> Online streaming. You make me sound like a dodgy salesman. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that, but no, I'm only joking. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but um, you know, you had internet. You 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 kind of live on the net in some ways. Yeah, I don't know. See previous statement. I actually try not to too much. Um, there's plenty of people who really live. I think I work and create on the internet is probably a better idea. Okay, okay. Yeah. And maybe that was just an impression I got. It seemed that because you were interested in uh, making videos, uh, podcasts, and you were also um, uh, involved, I guess, your technical writing, uh, we can talk about that yeah. for a minute, uh, also, it, it was on remote or was online as but well. I think that, that's, I mean, that's becoming, of course, more normal. But I think it's it's more, though, at the same time, I'm not the sort of person who spends a lot of time going down rabbit holes in Reddit or forums or YouTube. So I think I yeah, probably work and create. I, and that's half the reason for playing board games and things. So I don't just spend all my time getting stuck in yeah. toxic Reddit threads and stuff like that, which is, yeah. Of course. So it's using the other side of your brain, really, in some yeah, ways. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, podcasting and live streaming and other things that you tend to do. Sure. Um, my work relationship with the internet started reasonably long time ago. 
Um, actually, I left school a year early, um, and my dad, uh, I can't remember how the conversation even started, but my dad acquired, I used to have computers in the past, Amigas mostly, and I'd make a lot of music on, on Amigas then. Very weird kind of music, which I wish I could find these days, but I don't know what I did with it. Um, but then for years, I didn't really have one. It was, you know, not that common in the like mid to late 90s, really. But then when I left school, my dad acquired an old Apple Mac for me. This is one of the old beige ones when Apple was a very inferior I had company. one of those, yeah. actually, yeah. Um, and he acquired one from some work colleague for me. And I started making magazines. I don't really know why, but I started making a magazine for a music, like a music scene, basically. Uh, and then I realized that printing and distributing print was kind of expensive and time consuming. And so I started doing an online one. And I was one of the first few people, especially in the UK, to do this. Uh, so the website was actually, for the time, <laughs> relatively popular. I mean, compared to modern standards, like nothing at all. But it was fairly popular. I had um, mostly text reviews and things. And then I started doing videos of live shows. This was in a day when most people were still on dial-up. So you'd have to make the videos super compressed and rendering them took forever. I can't even remember what software I used. Like it was so long ago. Uh, and then I started doing a podcast too. So I started doing a music podcast many, many, many years ago. Podcasts have become you know, very popular now, but they've been around as a format for a very long time. Uh, and I did one... I can't even remember when it was so long ago, but before the band, so late 90s, early 2000s, um, it was called Below the Surface. I did like probably highly illegal mixes of music I liked and stuff. I don't know, but no one listened in those days anyway, so no one cared. The industry certainly didn't care. Um, and then I kind of took a break for a while and it came back more recently. My current show I've been doing for six or... I don't know, five or six years or something like that. I'm not sure really. Um, and this kind of went from there. And I have made videos on and off. I think the pandemic made me get into streaming proper and make more videos. But I've always done like lots of presentations and things and have made videos in the past. I made videos for book publishers a few times in the past um, and a few things. So I don't know, I just, I started finding it more fluid, especially live streams because... With text, you tend to finesse it and finesse it. Whereas the nice thing with a live stream, it was like doing a presentation. You'd practice it a bit, but then you just go for it and then it's done. It's a kind of performance in some ways. Yeah, in some ways. In some ways, yeah. Like you've only got one ch chance at yeah. it. You can't go like, oh, we'll just retake that or we'll edit that in post. Can't do that. Pretty much. I mean, some people uh, prepare a lot more than I do, um, which is maybe more akin to a performance because you usually rehearse and stuff like that. But... Yeah, I don't know. I kind of always liked performing a bit. And I think especially the past year where the opportunities for performing live were limited, I found other ways to do it. Um, yeah, and I kind of enjoy it. And I want to do some more experimental work uh, next year, I think. And, uh, and similarly with the audio, I, I tried a few projects in the past year of a storytelling podcast with someone and it. It kind of fell apart, unfortunately. I have this perpetual issue with trying to find collaborators that stick around. I don't know if it's me or 
Of course. And yeah. actually, I mean, if you look at the range of podcasts that are out there, you have individuals who just yeah. have a single person, just themselves talking. And then you have people who interview loads of different people, but they're still just one to one. And then occasionally, I think the most successful ones are where you have two people who have different strengths, who come together and sort of worked yeah, well on a Yeah, two podcast. or more, some of my favorites, but I don't know how they keep it together. Like I've often really struggled to, it's a reliability thing. And I, I sometimes think it's people you find in a city like Berlin with a lot of distractions. I find like a lot of the ones, I, I think a lot of the ones I listen to who have managed to help hold like um, panels together. If you actually listen to like where they live, they tend to live in smaller towns and things, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's because then there's less distraction, there's less to do. It's their entertainment, and maybe living in a big city is the worst place to well, kind of try it's, to... it's a good point, actually, yeah. because, you know, there is a lot of different things. If you want to go out every night of the week in Berlin, you could find interesting things to do, and that wouldn't be the same in a much smaller Trust place. Me, it's no, very no. distracting. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> no, no. So, you know, just going, relating back to when you were originally, we were what we originally talked about which around the bands and music creation. What sort of music creation do you do these days? I'm getting back into it, to be honest with you. Um, so I played in uh, a couple of smaller bands in Australia and stuff. Then I kind of got sick of the other stuff you have to do, lugging equipment around, promotion, etc., etc. Actually, what I always wanted to do and what I kind of did do way back when on the Amiga was I made very soundtracky stuff. But I think because I was young, I have this tendency to throw myself in the deep end of things without ever really knowing what I'm doing or what's come before. Um, and then at some point, someone will say to me something that fills in those gaps. So a lot of the music I used to make was actually years later, I kind of discovered maybe if I'd stuck at it, it could have worked. It was kind of more like stuff like Mogwai or Sonic Youth or especially now when there's a lot more vehicles for so many uh, niches that, you know, to, to find things like that. So I was always making like more soundtracky type music. And that's what I'm kind of getting back into. And of course, now it, it's very easy to collaborate with people around the world. Yeah. And so there's huge opportunities in order to... I haven't really thought about that with the soundtrack stuff. I think I'm still finding my feet a bit, uh, especially actually, to be honest with you, with um, the tooling available now. My, my music making um, technology knowledge and skills is actually relatively out of date because my main exposure to it was some time ago. Um, I know there's a lot of opportunities now and a lot of like new ways of doing things that, and my head is still a bit stuck in some of the older ways, especially if I want to do soundtrack things. People are using newer tools like Ableton or online tools or techniques or um, practices that are a little bit alien to me still. I still come from the quote-unquote traditional sequencing background. Yes, but even still, you having that experience of doing live streaming, it gives you the possibility of maybe doing a live stream with, from multiple locations with a, yeah, playing yeah. with a, a sort of a band across yeah. it. Maybe. I hadn't thought about it, Frank. I, I must admit I don't want to get into the overhead of all the promotion and coordination of that kind of stuff right now, but I, I am certainly not opposed to it. Okay, so um, just one more question, uh, Chris, and uh, I've enjoyed certainly the range of things that we've covered here. And that's, what about 2022? What have you got a plan for 2022? <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm not 
for, for one of the first times in my life, for a little bit of a period of time, I'm not quite sure. Um, a lot of it is, I think, a little bit of a midlife crisis. I hit 40 this year. A little bit of it is um, the past two years we've all lived together. Uh, and it's, it's left a lot of people, you know, questioning things. You know, you hear about the great resignation and people just not wanting to go to work because it's like they question, do I really want to work in this crappy job? After I've seen, you know, I start reevaluating, people have been reevaluating their values. Yeah, it's <laughs> a know. very good though, I think. I yeah, think it's yeah well, useful. well, potentially it's obviously causing problems to a lot of industry and things like that. But, you know, for individual level, it, it's, it's a good thing. And so I, I kind of got to a point last year, I must admit, actually just before, I'd run my own business for a few years and I was very worn out with it and I wanted to take some time off. And then 2020 happened and it, I don't know. It was simultaneously the best time and the worst time to take time off because A, no one was going to fault you for it, but B, you didn't know how long it was going to last. So financial stability seemed like a good idea. Um, and I, I took that path. But I'm feeling confident now to maybe do that. So my, I think my plan next year is to take some time off. And honestly, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, no, that's not quite right. I don't know what I'm going to do kind of long term next. But I want to spend some time just trying a bunch of random things, some music stuff, some writing stuff, some technical projects, and just see what happens. And I think I, I've kind of done that loosely in the past. Like, we will notice in this conversation, you know, a lot of the times when I went traveling or something was when something shifted and I needed to reset to figure out what to do next. And I think I'm at one of those phases again. Um, but this time it's, it's more professional than personal, maybe. Okay, yeah. well, it, which is very good in, in many ways. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. It's, it's a lucky situation, not lucky, but it's a great situation to be in that you, the type of career you have in terms of mm. uh, working on uh, various different types of projects allows you consider taking a, a, a slice of time it's off. It's true, it's true, it's true, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know, I can understand that because um, for, for quite a number of years, I've been taking six months off every year and enjoying the time of doing something that I didn't normally do in my work. And uh, it's nice to do that. It actually opens you up to the possibilities of things that you mightn't have considered before. And I think that's kind of what I'm hoping it will lead me to. I think I've kind of reached a bit of an impasse with my work life at the moment. And I need to see what the next challenge is going to be. And I'm not quite sure what it's going to be. And I think I'm at just the right age to try before it's kind of too late. Oh, it's never too late. Well, you know, that's, that's the thing, of course. You always, it's always too late in your yeah. perspective, you know. Um, and yeah, I don't really know what it's going to be. I kind of got a whole bunch of ideas and we'll see. Well, maybe we could pick up another podcast next year and we'll see yeah. what's happened between this year and next year, Chris. Yeah. But um, thanks very much. It's been really interesting to talk to you and to understand the type of uh, things that you're interested in. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks, bye. We could have been stardust, same world but without us. Something made us, made us find each other.